Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 98. Uh, this week uh, we had or I'm sorry, this week we had Orr from Spectrum King. Um, he had some stuff come up very last minute and uh, is not able to join us, but we're hoping to have him on next week or the week after. Um, and uh, yeah, he had just had a last minute issue coming up and uh, he will be with us uh, probably next week or the week after he... Uh, uh, yeah, so I apologize for that. Um, there's a chance he might be able to join us in a little bit, but uh, they had some, some, uh, uh, yeah, he had a last minute issue, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to join us later or next next week. Cool. Um, so uh, we decided this week we're going to talk about um, uh, what's going on this time of year as far as your gardens. So, and this week we have uh, Mr. Green Jeans with us. Hey, what's happening, everybody? We got Marty. Hey, what's going on? And we got Josh from Dutch Blooms. Hey, what's going on? Hey. So um, this time of year, everything's just starting to come into flower. Um, I know you a lot. Of, I think all three of you guys have some stuff outdoors. Do you guys want to talk about what's going on this time of year? What you guys are looking out for? What's I going on in your specific areas? Or yeah, maybe even well, you can talk about your your garden out back, and you can talk about it, you know, in your years past, sure. you know, your experience, you know. So, you guys want to talk about that? Who wants to go first? Should we go geographically from south to north? Sure. <laughs> do it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> go. Perfect. I think that makes. Uh, That's right. Um. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it's really hot here. You know, I'm I'm almost uh, down by you know uh, Mexico, and uh, by San Diego a little bit north, sixty miles, and really hot and it's humid right now. And and you know the plants need a lot of water, and yeah, cannabis is <laughs> using an unbelievable amount of water, especially some some plants. You know, certain genetics. So obviously there's a lot of difference going on too. Um, this one's a cutie. I don't know what she's doing. I just brought her in from the backyard. She's been living out outside in a one gallon container. <laughs> what does that say? CJ, chill, chill. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, everybody needs to water your plants, man. They need a lot of water. And because they're needing water, they're going to be using a lot of food. Cannabis grows fast as hell when it's hot, you know, when it's, um, and it, it's, it loves it generally, especially if it's in the ground, if it's outside. I think most people around here in Southern California, your plants are, are doing great. You know, they're growing really well. It's hot. Just make sure to give them a lot of water. You yeah, know, yeah. I think it's one and of the, they'll also need food. They're, they're going to get hungry as well because they're going to grow a lot. So they'll need nitrogen. Number one. Because they're still probably vegging quite a bit, but maybe not. Down here in Southern California, a lot of plants are starting to flower. Our day length is getting kind of short, so indica genetics people's plants are already flowering pretty well. So, so if you're those people, you still need to give a lot of water, but maybe you're you know cutting back on your nitrogen and things like that. I know you guys up north are <laughs> going to say quite an opposite thing, but. How, well, I was going to say, how many hours of daylight are you dealing with down there? Do you know? I think now it must be, I think it's the longest. It's barely 16. It's getting back down in the 15 half, 
um, you know, 15, it's going to go back down to 15 hours, which is not that much. It's nothing like you guys have a way longer day. Yeah, we're 1645 solid still. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's, we're definitely lean, lean to the north a little bit now still. But, you know, it, it'll change quickly. You know, it's always relatively yeah. predictable. There's some pretty good yeah. chance out there, you know. And, um, you know, definitely check that out because that'll, that'll give you a good indication of where you're at. But we were just talking about this before the show started, too, that, you know, a lot of that has to do with genetics. And, you know, there's a lot to be said of not really knowing. If you haven't grown, you know, that strain in your area, it, you know, it, sometimes even like just especially here where you get a lot of valleys, you know, it, it can change, you know, the way the light hits it and it can be a little bit different. So I do think that there's a certain amount of, you know, like you were talking about the um, uh, indicas triggering with uh, different lights. And, you know, I, I definitely think you, you should uh, expect pretty much everything in the Southern Oregon area to go into flower in the next couple of weeks, we were just talking about that. That's pretty consistent. You know, some of the earlier ones have already started. And, and uh, in my experience, all the ones that have grown outdoors, you know, by the first to second week of August, you know, it, it's pretty much on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, we, we definitely select for that, especially in starting to go outside, you know, any strains that have been selected in the local area outdoors for a few years um that's going to be uh pretty important you know to to finish flowering early before it gets cold you know right and and i know that you know there's different schools of thought there's some people that when they're growing outdoors you know they want a, a little bit longer veg time you know in uh in the season and other people want it to be shorter so that you know, they can finish the season sooner and not have to worry about the wet season, you know, rain. and Right. Because mold. if you grow really up north, if you go really, yeah, exactly. Especially if you grow um, Coke bottle sized, you know, buds, like gigantic bu right. fat water logged buds, then you're much more likely to get uh, the mold, huh? Right. That's right. right. So if you're even farther north, like, like Dutch over here, you know, they, they might prefer one that goes into flower, you know, immediately and, and finishes relatively soon. Probably no 16-week flowering strain for you guys, right? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I'm new. I'm probably the least experienced outdoor grower of, the, of all of us. You know, it's my, I think this will be my third or fourth season outdoors. But it seems like here, uh, almost every year that I've done it, it rains the second week of September when you're about four or five, six weeks in and it gives you a little break and you're like, awesome. We made it through no mold. And then come like the week before harvest, it just fucking dumps on you. And you're just like, shit. And you're just racing like a motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> it really all depends on I mean, how much second week of October it's over. You need to be, have everything down or, or, you know, unless you have some like hyper, you know, resilient genetics. Right. And, and you do have people, um, you know, that swear by certain genetics in, in certain areas. And, you know, there, there's a lot of debate about that. But I do think that, it, you know, I think you mentioned something is important, which is that it, it gives you that break uh, in, in between. If you can get even just like a good solid sunshine for a day, you know, to be able to dry everything out pretty good before it starts raining again. 
Thank you. Yeah. And, I, that's, uh, that's my lesson for this year. And you tell me if I'm right or wrong, but to really try to harvest it. You know, once I've got them dried out again and just before it starts to rain, you know, get the whole thing down. When I was in the hills up in Jamaica, they said they had a strain called 47. And it would, you know, the idea is you'd plant it and it would go into flower after about day 30 to 35. And you could harvest it sometime between day 47 and, and day 57. The, that's why they called it 47 and it didn't always work out that way but i my i'm pretty sure it had some kind of auto in it because there's no other way that they were going to get that kind of speed on that kind of predictability you know yeah i've always but heard the other that, but, but i've never well, actually seen one well here's the deal like the other thing is is that they can't really keep anything like there's so much open pollination going on there like you have, like you got, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the videos on my YouTube channel and, or some of the pictures I posted too and, and other places, but in Jamaica, they're just thousands and thousands of plants and, and you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patches of people with all these plants and some of them know what they're doing enough to pull the males. Many of them don't. And some of them have little breeding patches that are separate from their main patches, but pollen goes up to two, two miles. So especially when you have a good, you know, ocean breeze, you know, so they're getting all kinds of cross pollination, you know, even when they're growing the bestest and doing their best to be sensimilia, they're still getting some seeds in it, which is, you know, good for me, but, but, you know, and you guys, but when you're visiting, if you can bring, you know, you know, the paper airplanes, uh, find their way back, but, um, you know, um, those, those, you know, in those scenarios, but it, it, it makes it very impossible for them to maintain any kind of lineage that that is any kind of uh, traceability because they have just again so much open pollination. I mean, you have to like take something indoors and isolate it, right? Basically. Yeah. Exactly. Good. Tiny little clone, it's a male. He's like flowering. You know, like smuggle home some seeds in your dreadlocks, for instance. Is that? Yeah. No. Would never... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No. The pollination issue. No, but. Um... I wondered about. No, but. Uh, yeah, just... go ahead. You know, if you're trying to maintain any kind of, that's why there's, it's really hard when they try to go back and get these land race strains because it's there are many less left because they've all been so so much crossbred with these European and American strains. Yeah, because they want money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yep. No, it's yeah, it's crazy. it's a problem, you know, especially with these old world lineages. There aren't much left. That's why it's good for some of these people, like um, uh, what's the name of the guys up in Amsterdam? There's a whole bunch of different guys that have a lot of the old land races and stuff like that. Yeah, it's good uh, defense for people for growing indoors too. You know, at least yep. uh, I mean, it can keep some degree of uh, control over the pollination like that. Yeah, not yeah, always, breed, but mostly. Or yeah. breeding, breeding indoors, you know, at least. At the point. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I don't think in the future most growing is not going <clears> to <throat> not gonna be indoors. I don't think it would be um, 
financially. Viable. Well, what's interesting is seeing how much they are with like the um, this uh, algae-producing cannabinoids and some of the other weird stuff that there's companies out there tinkering with, where they took the those you know production parts of the plant out and you know, put it into algae. I've seen that's probably the trippiest thing I've seen so far at a cannabis convention. That does sound weird. <laughs> I never heard of that. Yeah. They're trying to grow it in a in a tube instead. Uh, there's not no rules against that. There's only rules against cannabis. So they can totally skirt around the whole uh thing except, you know, aside from THC, which is scheduled one anyway. They could, in in theory, synthetically produce, well, biologically, quote unquote, produce those other cannabinoids. Um, there's a couple of other weird things too. I've seen um, a couple of different articles on other plants that they've tried making it produce uh, different cannabinoids as well. So, I think it was calo lilies. I think it was one of them that was producing a lot of them. Wow. But I could be wrong on that. It's been a while. So, <laughs> so what about you, what? Marty? So, what about you, Marty? What what's going on in your area outside, and what would be going on in your garden this time of year? Well, one of the big concerns right now is like it's really smoky outside from all the fires, and a lot of ash is dropping. And so, you know, we we're just talking about how plants were growing into flower, and so a lot of people who are um, you know, growing just a uh, you know bare tree outside <clears throat> are concerned that they're you know once you're uh, once you go into flower, especially with big outdoor plants, you know they'll they'll start getting sticky relatively soon. You know, within just a couple of weeks in the flower, and a lot of strains and the ash will just stick right to it, and uh, becomes a big problem for um, when it comes harvest time, especially if the fires keep burning, which right now they still are so <clears throat> that's obviously a big concern for outdoor growers i know a lot of people are you know probably looking to slap up greenhouses right now and uh, get some air filtration going but i do think it'll be interesting to see what kind of effect it has on the outdoor market which has been pretty you know pretty low for a while to the point where you know people you know, are considering not even growing outdoor just because there's so little demand for it and uh where whereas indoor you know always you know is going to maintain a higher price point so you know you've seen a, a big shift to that just in general um just because of demand for it really so I, I think that'll be an interesting shift but in terms of uh like what would be happening in more of like an aquaponics system you know i i would be <clears throat> making sure I had a good amount of companion plants in because I would be, I'll be doing, you know, as the plants go into flower, I would be feeding pretty heavy uh, for about the first two weeks. And then I'd probably drop off to only feeding once every other day and give them that big boost of nitrogen that uh, we were just talking about. Also, Mr. Green Jeans talked about a little bit too. And then <clears throat> I really want the companion plants to be good. So if I don't feel like in that first, you know, sort of week of, uh, uh, flower that my companion my companion plants like greens or <clears throat> whatever else I have growing in the beds um, you know isn't producing or whatever I'll, I'll tear it out and replant uh, seeds 
so that you know they're at least two weeks old and something that grows pretty quick is usually good like uh you know just a green leaf lettuce you know you can usually get all the way to harvest in about four to five weeks so they'll be feeding pretty heavy <clears throat> right about the time that you want those nitrogen levels to drop off so you want in my opinion the more plants the better too so you know i'll seed a lot of them um just to be able to you know, make sure that I absorb as much as I can as I cut down and feed. And uh, if I'm doing dual root zone, um, you know, I'm adding tea probably, I would say twice a week. And uh, <clears throat> I would only do that probably through like week four or so. So it kind of depends on when they would start and flower. But um, if I wasn't doing dual root zone, I'd probably be doing it more like three to four times a week. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much my regiment. Oh, I'm checking for bugs a lot and often, um, this time of year, especially when it gets really warm, um, you know, uh, pretty much everything takes off from aphids to what kind leaves. of bugs. Yeah. You know, yeah, like sorry. everything, um, <laughs> as it warms up, um, pretty much everything spreads. So spider mites, uh, fortunately, russets, you know, like pretty much all of the, every species as it gets warmer, they just reprodu reproduce more often up until, you know, like if you live in the desert till like 120 degrees or something like that, it, they start dying off. But, you know, they do fine at like 100 degrees. It's like no problem to them. So uh, definitely be aware for, for pretty much all those grasshoppers can get really bad um, in certain areas. You know, so that, those are always different things to, to look at. So you're always looking for like early discoloration, you know, whether and, and just sort of follow it from there. If, you, if you've got yellowing, excessive yellowing and uh, you don't have like aphids, for instance, that are sucking the sap out and causing yellow, yellowness, um, you know, if there's no visible sign of insects and, and I would recommend getting a, a scope of some kind, even if it's just a cheap one for like 10 bucks, you can get off Amazon. Uh, a jeweler's loop, um, pretty much anything that gives you like, you know, a solid, you know, 20 X power will, will go a long way in identifying if the, if you do have insect issues and if you don't, then you can take it, you know, to that next level and maybe try to figure out, you know, what, what's going on, you know, nutrient wise with the plant and look at other options for it. But I'm always looking for excessive discoloration or, <clears throat> Anything that looks uh, deformed, curled uh, leaves, um, really olive-colored uh, or gnarled leaves, it would be like excessive nitrogen. So you definitely want to back off on feeding if you're in an aquaponic system in those kind of situations. Maybe try to transplant some companion plants. Um, I use green onions a lot because you can just buy them from the store, so they're always nice and clean and still have roots on them. And you can just slap them right in your in your media beds, and they'll start taking up nutrients right away. So you can get those just about anywhere. So those are great options. So those are all you know pretty much early flower concerns, I would say. You know, and uh, as far as like what kind of stuff you can add, I mean, this is a time you you know if you wanted to, you could add like you know a liquid kelp, for instance, is a you know nice little boost as they go into the beginning of flower, but I usually don't add anything after about week four. So 
if I if I'm gonna start feeding now now's the time <laughs> and uh, yeah I think that's about it all right what about you Josh um for me uh, yeah like I said like we were saying I'm just behind you guys you know a couple weeks I think you know a week or two even so uh in my limited experience you know two or three years I've been growing outdoors in Washington um we're just getting ready to set in so I'm experiencing a little bit of nitrogen deficiency um and it, it it's cool um, because I just went to that um, Chris Trump's Korean natural farming course last week and it's got a, you know, just a ton of solutions. Um, I don't think I really understood as much of it. Uh, I didn't understand as much of it before going, but so, um, you know, without trying to go too much into it, but it's essentially a, a nutrient feeding chart that you, you, you create your own nutrients and so um, as soon as I got back, I started making all this stuff. And I have like, you know, a handful of these concoctions, uh, fruit, uh, fermented fruit uh, juices, fermented plant juices, lactobacillus, um, oriental nude, uh, oriental herb nutrient, um, some calcium and calcium phosphorus um, so extract. Did you have a comment, Steve? I was going to say nude oriental nutrient. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, but that's what it's called. It's called OHN, oriental herb nutrient. And it's a, it's a five-part or you know herb extraction. It's a, essentially a tincture. Um, ginger, angelica, garlic. Um, that's only three. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. But it's you know a six-month process to make this stuff. And I was able to get some from, from Chris, but so it, as I'm transitioning, I guess I say all that to say I, I'm in, implementing these new techniques. And so I, there's a, a, once you make all these baseline uh, things, you then implement them in the different phases of growth, different ways. So right now I'm, we're switching in, into transition. So I'm going to, instead of hitting it with a, a WCA, a water soluble calcium, sol water soluble calcium, I'm going to hit it with the WCAP, the water soluble, soluble calcium phosphate to kind of help push it into, uh, into flour and then back off on the nitrogen, which in Korean natural farming is uh, mostly a fish amino acid uh, base. So, and then you sw switch into a fruiting uh, kind of time in, in, in which you switch from a fermented uh, plant juice to a fermented fruit juice. And which in a fermented fruit juice extract is compri comprised of three separate uh, ripe fruits uh, that you make that out of. So you're kind of just given given the plant um, other plants that are doing the same things, do the same stuff. You know, if that makes you know, sense at all. So that's kind of what I'm going through. I'm doing that. I'm uh, trellising this week. Kind of, I'll set my final trellis and um, do a little bit of pruning, you know, under understory pruning, getting some air movement, and then just kind of waiting for things to happen, honestly. Watering a lot, making sure everything's happy. Um, scouting for bugs, the same, you know, making sure everything's good and and getting ready for oh, uh, September, October, the push. 
So what kind of setup do you have, Dutch? Are you in an aquaponics system or are you in pots or? No, I am uh, all in in ground. In ground. No aquaponics at all. I mean, I have a few little aquaponics setups, but that's not my cultivation base right now because I can't afford it. Right. So it's like personal stuff. You know, I have a veggie setup and then a little, uh, you know, uh, mother setup. Cool. Um, Yeah, so I have a greenhouse, you know, that uh, is open air right now. It's just sucking air out. So it's, you know, more of a hoop house in the way it's operating at this moment. And then everything else is outdoor in Hugel beds. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, living soil. Um, I don't, I've just been, you know, this year, all I've actually applied is some feather meal, some kelp, um, maybe a little alfalfa. And I did, I threw in some seabird guano for sure on just about every plant. You know, just kind of top dressed a little bit of that, you know, an impressively low amount. Like I probably spent less than four hundred dollars on six thousand square feet of canopy. Right. So one of the other things I was thinking about the is the water temperature. That's what I was asking if you had an aquaponic system. Is oh, yeah. the water temperature is another thing I forgot to mention that you really need to keep an eye on, especially like here when it's been so hot. Um you know, your, your water temperature can rise pretty quickly in your tanks uh, if you have outdoor. And uh, and so definitely keep an eye on that. It, you know, if your water temperature starts climbing up, then your, your plants will, will get very unhappy. <coughs> and uh, if you have catfish, they'll attempt to breed. That's, and then they start fighting, and that's just not fun. Um, so just be aware of your water temperature. Also, your, your pH can fluctuate in your... Um, need for dissolved oxygen will go up. Um, so definitely keep an eye on those things in, in the summertime. Because uh, even if you have to, you know, like I've had to do, I, um, I don't have anything outdoors right now, but my last time I did outdoor, we had a stretch of like a week and a half where it was 104 degrees or hotter. It was like 104 to 106. And so I had to do two water changes in that week um just to keep the temperature down to to acceptable levels so i had that you know pump out uh hot water out of the tank essentially warm water out of the tank and refill it with cold water from the well you know i drop it down about 50 percent and then refill it and that you know that will definitely you know, fluctuate ph and, and even naturally you'll you'll uh, your plants will take up more water so you'll be losing more water out of your tank and be adding more water just in general even if you're not doing water changes so temperature in the summertime can really mess with an aquaponic system yeah true dad I, my, my systems are just real small um, for, for me and I'm up like I'm in this cool area so it doesn't you know our hots like I feel bad saying it but when it's 82 degrees here, like seriously on the radio, they, there's like weather advisories, like everybody go inside. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even joking. It's funny. It's a joke. I mean, it's funny. People, it's like, you know, drink water, you know, it's going to be 80 tomorrow. You guys down there, it's like 113 on the regs. Like, you know, yeah, my fish would love it. It's almost like San Diego here. It's 72, like pretty much April through September. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like you know when it when it snows somewhere where it never snows like seattle or something it like shuts everything down with like an inch of snow and nobody goes to school and <laughs> here <You're> right <laughs> like what <laughs> it snows all the time 
so yeah, it, it's funny how how you know, all all those things in different places. It just because it's things that people aren't used to dealing with. Um, it's just funny. Yeah, but so also that, I've also seen Denver. I've also seen Denver crippled by a sudden snowstorm. So even places that are used to it get screwed. It seems like people just get dumb and <laughs> like around here. Like we don't get a ton of snow. Like it'll snow pretty consistently, like once or twice a year, and it's like maybe a couple inches. Other than like we had some that where it snowed like maybe six or eight inches and then like froze solid and stayed there for like three days. And so that, that caused some issues, like the buses couldn't get through and we weren't really like equipped to deal with some of it. But it just seems like there'd be the tiniest little bit. It almost happens like the first time it rains really hard too in the wintertime. Like people just forget that you can't stop as well or something. And they just, I just see people like sliding, just going around intersections and making turns. So I don't know, people get done, I guess. They, they're just not used to dealing with it. Been summer for too long. Just realized my mute button is not working all the time on my manual. I hear it clicking. That's all right. So, um, what um, what is everybody up to in their garden? What are you up to right now, uh, Mr. Green Jeans? Oh, the, I, I'm, you know, growing out all these really interesting seeds. This friend of mine gave me up in Northern California. <laughs> that, those are coming along amazing. I mean, let me see. I can maybe. See, you got There's a bunch of, I don't know. I, well, I can't because I, I could only do it if I don't know how to reverse. Bunch of all the ones that's with the with the white uh, right rim, rims there. Most of all, there are seventeen of them. I think there's blue hash and the brandy wine and um, all kinds of cool stuff. There's a Shirley Temple, which is a you know a CBD strain. Uh, there's a uh, couple of what are those ones? Grand Slams. Those look really interesting. Uh, the blue hash look really cool, Steve. You guys made those, huh? Those look good. Yep. That's some, that's some interesting looking stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, just you know, making some seeds and stuff like that, and uh, that's been been fun. I wish I was up in, uh, I wish I could take you on a tour of the community garden up there in San Pedro. One of these evenings, that's what I'm going to do. I think I got a, I think I got a male plant in here that I can, uh, that I can do a, uh, it's ready to drop some pollen. I think this one is dropping right here, actually. I was promising to show how to collect it with, uh, with my cool tool. Go and see if that's a possibility here. Just realized this. I wasn't thinking of. I wasn't plan. I didn't make a plan here. So into the green jeans. <laughs> Enter oh. the green jeans. So the the roommate over here is jamming. He's making some crazy music. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> you guys can hear. I'll get some kind of copyright strike. I'm sure. 
Yeah, I know. He's, he's original. He's, he's out of his mind. Um, um, fucking, yeah, around. I know. <laughs> Doc Fred. American Idol tried to claim, I think it was episode four with me and Marty. And it's literally just me and Marty talking. And I like had a petition to get it unlocked on Facebook. It's fucking uh, For real? Wow, that's funny. I think this we have some saw some I saw some flowers in here before. And that's not very good. Let's see there is all uh, Hey look who look up. Hey, what's up, Roger? I just got through walking for an hour and a half. I, that's why I'm late. I had to walk to town. I just got back. I think I got a blister. My whole left foot is blistered. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, man. I didn't, haven't had anybody out here. Amy came out. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that on air. Sorry. But, yeah, oh, that's right. had, I've had nobody here, no rides since Saturday to go anywhere, and I ran out of water and beer and everything. So I just oh, decided to Earlier, I had to. Yep, I got a blister about the size of a. Wow, this big. You know, they don't have uh, Uber and Lyft out there. Nope, not here. No, I live in the country in the swamp, dude. They don't Uber in the swamp. Oh. Uber doesn't even let them Uber in the swamp. Even if they wanted to, they can't. <laughs> I did have an Uber driver once. They did it on the side for me. She took me one time. She was trying to raise some extra money for her son that was going to college, and she came and got me one night. Took me to grocery shop but then she found another another regular like full part-time job so she quit driving so because all she was trying to do is make a little extra money to put in her son's bank account at college so but but yeah yeah i'm soaking wet too i'm i'm drenched it's about 85 90 percent humidity out there i can smell you from here oh well actually i don't smell that bad because i've been walking through a nice rainforest you know (laughs) I smell herbally fresh. Well, the, in, the insects have sucked all the scent off. And, and I hadn't been drinking because I haven't had any alcohol, so I don't have that drunk smell either. <laughs> yeah, but that, the, you get the, the, the drunk smell. It, it ward, the alcohol wards off the insects. Isn't that how that works? But I'll tell you what. I did get me a big bottle of water for the walk home. It took me 45 minutes each way, humping it, man. So, uh, so what about you, Marty? What do you got going on with your gardens? Um, so I had uh, some plants and veg in the garage, and I have outdoors. I just have uh, veggies. I have some of those black tomatoes. I have the elderberry bush, which is still um, it's dropping tons of fruit. Um, I have a couple of tomato plants, uh, some strawberries. What else do I have? Lemon cucumbers, green onions, lettuce, kale, various vegetables. I think I probably have tomatoes more than anything. I have some sips with some bell peppers, uh, but it's been really hot. I haven't been watering those enough, so they're kind of underproducing right now. But even kick up to watering those, like, probably once maybe even twice a day even though they're sips they're just 
drinking so much water, it's ridiculous. And yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, I have a, a peach tree that I put in a sip and an orange tree that I put in a sip. And both of those are doing doing pretty well in all the heat. They don't seem to mind it at all. But they're also drinking a lot of water, so. Make sure you yeah. keep it acidic, because if you, that pH gets too high in the water, they'd freak out. Yeah, they love fruit ferments, so no problem there. So a lot of the, you know, like, uh, fermented plant juice and whatnot is uh, really good for that, because the pH drops so low. Especially if you do a fermented plant extract with some labs, it really drives the pH down. Good looking tomatoes there. Yeah, man. He's uh, I'm just about to stake them, but they're uh, I just wanted to show you guys because uh, I haven't done a whole lot of the dual root zone. Um, Needs more real, potassium. I've had real good success with my tomatoes. Just straight in the gravel. That's what's going on here. Nice. Um, yeah. I had success with cannabis in just straight, you know, a lot of the pictures that I posted originally were just straight aquaponics. And I've talked about it before. And I just fed a lot more often. I think it was probably the, the biggest difference between the two. I did one. I did one bed full dual root zone, and then one plant of, in that bed that was just straight in gravel. And it it seemed to be slightly frostier, but it was way uh, larfier, if you will. Hmm. Um, I don't. You know, may could have just been the place in the room too. It was in the corner. Okay. Here's next. I just showing you guys some more tomatoes. Well, it gets a lot more nitrogen that way. Okay, so that would make that would make sense, and being in the corner maybe a little more humid. Uh, like uh, when friendlies did a bunch of stuff in DWC just doing it raft style with like the lettuce it all came out super larfy as well although I, their nutrients I'm sure were way off I'm sure mine were too I, I you know in that setup I wasn't being pretty crazy so oh I want to I was just thinking about um, I was just thinking about the pests, and you know, probably forgot to mention the danger of uh, caterpillars. I know we get them really bad here in Southern California, probably around and starting in a couple of weeks or whatever. They're kind of seasonal; they come at a certain time, you know, and, and or the ones that uh, that start hitting the cannabis plants. And they can be really disastrous. They're one of the worst things. I mean, a lot of the other insects you can deal with are far mellower than, you know, than caterpillars. They can. Yeah. Be, by the time you see them, that you know, it's too late. They've already. Yeah. You know, they're very. Done serious. quite a bit of damage to a bud. Do a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, they poop on everything. Bud, yeah. They poop on find, everything. You'll, you'll find the little clusters that look like uh, black raspberries yeah. almost. Yes. It, yeah, and it's it, like it, once you find one, you know there's going to be like five more somewhere. Absolutely. It, you can lie down underneath the plants, actually, uh, for it takes you a few minutes uh, to get it'll rain on your face. You, you can actually see <laughs> You can see them. You can start spotting them and catching them by by eye. But they, just slurping I, you know, them down. Shake them the stem and just slurping down. 
<laughs> but it's not too hard to hit him with BT, you know, with Bacillus Thuringiensis, I think it's pretty. Bacillus Thuringiensis is really insus. This, that's, this that's conversation legal. would have saved me a lot of money had it happened at this time last year. I right. learned this lesson the hard way. I'm really year. sorry. Holy yeah. shit. Also, garlic, garlic sprays and um, uh, lemongrass oil sprays, lemonine lemon, or lemongrass oil sprays can be a, a of, uh, huge, huge benefit. And just know that now is a great time to use them because as you go into flour, your options are really less. Exactly. So that's what happened to me. It's a great time that's what happened to me is I hadn't ever experienced them being a mostly indoor gardener. And so I w wasn't that concerned, you know, right, and then yeah. uh, by the time I realized it was too late, I did my research and it was BT Israeli, Israeli, can't say it. Israeliensis or something like that. But it was like I was in week <laughs> three or four and it was too late. So it was like I was just literally two or three times a day shaking the stick and picking them up <laughs> yeah that's you know, very and, effective yeah. there's even a, a kind other of brand uh i think that works for another slightly another strain that works for um for grasshoppers i'm pretty sure yep. yeah they so, have a so separate there's another one. there's but a separate they, you know one. what's interesting yeah. you can't use um you can use the bactillus stuff but you can't use the uh the fungal stuff there's a, a couple different fungal strains like um, huh. Mycotrol or na uh, Natrol, uh, Natrol O, or Natrol O, um, and then the other one is Botanigard, Botanigard ES. Um, th those are. Uh, What's the the ES? I'm not familiar with the ES. It's it's well, it's even uh, even Oregon. You can't use Spinosad anymore either. Well, spinosad is a good reason. The re there's no good reason to ban the fungal one. Right. I'm just saying there's a number of them oh, yeah. that they banned. I don't. I don't know why they. Um, I don't know why they allow some of them and don't allow some of them. But you know, I guess I assume it's based on on something decent. But there are some of them that you can. You know, a lot of people will swear by, and spinosad is one of those. Like especially for like aphids, different things like that. Um, a lot of the old time growers will, will swear by it. And in Oregon, you can't can't test positive for any of it. Uh, and uh, I remember right, that's because it's harmful when burned or something like that. Mm. So definitely be careful for some of those. But like the um, the ones that we're talking about right now are usually specific like they're talking about there's a different one for grasshoppers and i think there's even a different one for fungus gnats um and so they banned they banned the uh i'm trying to find the name of the species here bavaria all the bavarias you can't use any of those for whatever stupid fucking reason yeah, is that, is that is that is that banned from being used altogether at any in any way or just with commercial stuff that strictly strictly with cannabis? Oh, okay. Well, strictly I want to like in Washington. So Botanigard uh, uses Bavaria, right? It's Bavaria. Right. I'm looking at the label right here on the Bavaria Bassania. Bavaria Bassania. And yeah. so the way Suzanne explained it to me is is the max. I can't use here uh, in Washington. It has pyrethrins in it, 0.75%. I'm looking at it. 
And so I have this bottle here that I've just, I've shelved, but the WP, the wettable powder does not have the pyrethrins. Yeah. The WPO. Yeah. Yeah. And that one's allowed for use. So I, I thought it was always about the pyrethrins. So, and then when you said the ES, I, I'm not familiar with the differences so, with the ES. So, so the, in California and in Colorado, and to my knowledge, Oregon, you cannot use any of the Bassanio Bavaria in any form, at least the last time I checked, which was about a month ago. I can say at least on those three states. <laughs> those three I can stay because <laughs> this shit changes constantly. You guys know that? That's why we're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but it, it is interesting to see, you know, that, that at least Washington, they're allowing it a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if that, that, that changes over time or not. Um, there, there's, uh, and we're just talking about different microbes, um, just so everyone knows. These, these aren't chemicals. Uh, these Wait, are what just... we're talking about, Steve. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's good. And like Suzanne says, that this is of all the things, of all the strains, of all the bacteria, of all the fungi, this is the one she would feel comfortable drinking. Interesting. Yeah. So that's her perspective. Uh, you know, I, that's I don't, I'm not knowledgeable enough to speak on it, but we've all eaten Bactillus sibilis. If you've ever eaten yogurt, right? Or sauerkraut, or yep, yeah, kimchi. So if, you, if you've eaten any, yeah, kimchi, some cheeses. So if you, if you're into that, I mean, that you've already eaten serenade. It's a sin. It's true. <laughs> Fermented food is good for people too. It's you know, it's no surprise. I you know, yeah. Of course, it's good for people. that needs to be talked about a lot more because there's a lot of health healthy concentrated folks that are like all anti-alcohol, and and some of them will even throw the you know fermented foods under the bus in that category, uh, which is outrageous. Yes. Well, I wouldn't associate with them. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's all like pre-digest. It comes under the heading of stuff that's kind of pre-digested. That's sort of like you know what I mean. It's already, it's already helped along a little bit by some other organisms which are friendlies, you know. Right, and, and we you know we know that gut bacteria is you know uh, definitely key to to yeah. good personal health. So, um, and, and lactobacillus is good gut bacteria so Proven. like the fact yeah. that you're just like producing it and and adding it to your digestive system is just an aid to your digestion so yes yeah uh -huh. I, you're, I like you're, you're would... pretty you sound like you're pretty familiar with the knf stuff marty um i would you know like i'm not i wouldn't say like an expert by any means but i've definitely you know I would say it's been probably like what two years now or so that I've started messing around with um, fermenting plant food in in various forms. Like fruit was obviously one of the first ones uh, you know that came to mind. And I have the you know I have the tree out front. We have blackberries all over here. So I've done a number of different ones, um, but I wouldn't say that I've really studied like K and F. Other than like I've seen a lot of Chris Trump's videos um, on YouTube um, from from even like back in the day. I know some of them have been up from for quite a while. 
I would say yeah. Marty pretty much does like he picks out things he finds will be applicable to his grows, and that's what he yeah you know, that's where he's coming with the ferments and all and the dual root zone. I think more than yeah, being horsetail. Horsetail fern was an, another one. So, yeah. like if you're you know we talked about um, dealing with different stuff as you get later in the season, earlier I think maybe before Roger got here. And, uh, you know, one of those things that you deal with when you get later in rains is, you know, powdery mildew. And so that was one of the things that, you know, led us to talking about silica and then talking about horsetail fern and, and doing um, a fermented plant extract with uh, horsetail fern um, was really interesting. I got a sample from a lab uh, in Arcata called T-Labs. And um, it actually was specifically for solubilizing uh, silica. So again, a specific microbe, sort of like mammoth pea is for phosphorus. And, and that was uh, amazing uh, treatment for powdery mildew. Um, and, and even just in general, I just started incorporating it and just feeding silica to the plants in addition to um, you know, using the final strained tea um, as a spray, you know, about this time as we went into to uh, to flower, so I found that to be to be extremely useful as well. And horsetail grows everywhere around here, and especially we I have a huge, like multiple huge patches on my family's property down in California. So I go visit my dad and chop a bunch. How of much do you use? How much do you need when you? I mean, can you describe? I can you tell know, you. That. <laughs> I just did the course, so I was going to say like, and I don't. You may be keen on this. Marty, but one of the, the take-homes for me on making FPJs and FFAs was uh, that they promote harvesting before dawn or just around dawn when there's dew on the fruit or the plants. Right. And then harvesting, you know, uh, obviously uh, the growing tips, uh, you know, the very fresh growth. Right. Um, is, it just, is it just the fact that you've got You've got the, like you said, you had condensation still or dew still on the, the idea is that it before it's the, it starts to want to drink. It's the highest point of microbial activity. Is the yeah, concept. so you have microbial life in that dew. That's what you're harvesting. It yeah. yeah, and then what well, yeah, you well, do that's is what you I take, like to harvest before it takes up any nutrients for the day. So that's what I. And then having. yeah, and then you take that material and you chop it up and you mix it one to one by weight with sugar. Oh, cool. And and then let that ferment for five, seven, 10 days, depending on your climate. So I, that's, I that's usually, essentially it and then drain it, you know? And you, you could do that with horse. I could do that because I have some too, you know, we have, we have some growing. Oh yeah, the everywhere. Like yeah everywhere. Horsetail, horsetail might be a little dry too. Marty, you might talk about that. Do you add any beer or anything like that to kind of kick it off? Um, I actually add a little bit of water to pretty much all of mine. And I know, yeah. You know, they're anti, you know, like KNF was one of the things when I, after, because I, I found out about KNF after I already started doing ferments um, with lactobacillus um, in making labs. But, and that's got sort of how I found out about it and how I found Chris Trump's video about making labs. Also, I think might have been the first video of his that I watched. Um, but anyway, so, you know, they're always anti, you know, sort of adding anything to it. But I, I've always added, you know, I would say, you know, like not not a lot, but even up to uh, a third of water, especially in the horsetail fern, which is relatively hollow and dry. You know, there's not really a lot to it. I like to kind of chop it up. 
And I usually, um, I usually cut down and I usually make two five gallon buckets uh, full where, where I chop it up and it's usually, you know, about two thirds uh, horsetail and about a third water and some labs to kick it off. Or in this case, I, I had the stuff from T-Labs. Uh, I think that's what it's called. T-Labs, something like that. I'll have to look it up. But anyway, so I, um, whatever microbes you want to add, or like you're talking about what they really preach a lot about in KNF was that, you know, you harvest with the microbes still on them, the, you know, what do they call it? The indigenous microorganisms mm, are right. the, the, the microorganisms that already exist and, and have outcompeted everything else in your area and are prime for your climate. And so they, they, they preach about using those a lot, which I'm sure is, is great, but you can also just throw labs in, in terms of like breaking it down into, into plant food. Um, you, you know, you can put in your own microbes if you want to, but the, the K and F I found is they're, they're very sort of like religious about using it. I'm pretty sure it's indigenous microbes and yeah, microorganisms. Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of inspired me, you know, um, it's, it's a bit of a tangent if you guys don't mind, but no, go I for think it. it's interesting. Um, you know, coming from like a no-till, no-till back, background where, you know, or, or I want more accurately soil food web, like I'm in a lane ingum nut. And so it's like compost, you know, working the, those organisms over and over and cultivating them. It's the same concept um, in my mind, except it's more small batch, you know, so you're doing these very small, um, you know, three foot uh, by, you know, six inches piles and you're you're cultivating the organisms through different stages and that's all i it goes imo one is the collection indigenous microorganism and so you start by collecting those organisms on rice uh, in different areas where they that plants are and trees are thriving and you're really collecting mostly saprophytic fungi because bacteria is really easy obviously it's everywhere um and the part that i thought was really interesting that i think a lot of people miss or don't put in is that it they prescribe a three-year period of collecting in multiple areas i think it was like three areas three times a year spring summer fall so you do you know nine collections a year for three years and so you have all these collections and then you put those into your imo you you, you put them into imo2 which is just adding sugar to uh you know freeze them kind of stop their activity dry them out and then as you go to IMO3, you would add all of these IMO2s together into your IMO3, which IMO3 is just adding carbon and carbohydrates, just like composting to, to help them grow. Um, but the idea that you're adding from these three different climate times, three years, you're kind of getting a range of, of activity. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool and pretty a pretty cool idea to like take through in my practice if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, I think it's cool too. I also saw where he was, you know, like he was going around and using different soil samples to kick off his different, uh, you know, collection plates or whatever. Yeah, so the, so the, so the IMO3 is taking all those, as much IMO2 as you have been able to gather, you, you put it into IMO3, which is adding carbon and, and, carb, and carbohydrates. 
it grows. You, you're just building the population. And then IMO3 or IMO4 is introducing it to your uh, native soil or whatever soil you're going to be planting in. So those microbes are getting acclimated to that environment. And if you wanted to go even a step further, you you know, to go IMO5 and introducing the protozoa, and the amoeba, you'd introduce uh, um, a manure source at that point you know, mix it up again right. and let it go through it. And then you're just building the population and kind of, you know, when you go to IMO5, that's when you're adding really the full spectrum. Um, but IMO4 is kind of really as far as you really need to go and it's what kind of what I caught from it. Which I do think it has a lot of parallels with like, you know, the people that make Bokashi brand and different mm -hmm. things like that because they've essentially collected the indigenous microorganisms in order to make the Bokashi brand in a, in a lot of cases, like if you make it yourself or a lot of the like PFA approved brands, you know, they talk about, um, you know, in their process and how they make it like grow Kashi, for instance, you know, we had Alan on and I've talked with him, you know, at length about their process for doing it, which um, also is to collect in the morning and, you know, to, to get all of that stuff. So, um, and all those indigenous microorganisms, which you essentially cultivate into the brand and and then uh, store them in a sort of powdered dormant state so that you can introduce water to them and grow them in the environment, similar to what he does. I think he freezes like IMO3. Isn't there one of them? Where that he makes, you, you, can, you can stop them along the process. Right. Stage. So... Um, so, it, you know, it's essentially just finding a way to preserve microorganisms and then and then repropagate them in an area in which you want them to grow. So um, it, it definitely follows a lot of the similar lines um, and threads of it where you're, you're just trying to, to store and be able to reintroduce that microbiology from wherever you're at. And I, I think that's maybe the, the big difference in, in terms of you have these really sort of like the KNF crowd where they're, they're a lot more like, uh, you know, like maybe naturalist based and you have a lot of like the science based where they're, you know, like you have specific microorganisms more like oh the, the mammoth pea and all those where they're, you know, they're breeding their own sort of super bacteria the science the science of or, of organic versus the religion of organic <laughs> perfect that's a great that's a documentary right there yeah, i think marty should oh, be the, the key person oh, talking oh oh i i've presented immediately after people that are the opposite of me and it is very uh, interesting yeah i yeah my conference <laughs> Well, I think that the um, they de you know like you definitely have different environments too, like an indoor grower versus like you know Dutch who set up growing in the ground. I think that the the soil food web uh, of your ecology there plays a lot more of a role in your plants than what like e even an aquaponic system would, because it's you know more of an isolated its own sort of ecosystem where you have you know arguably more control over it even if you have you know big holes that you dug you know to be able to amend you know those roots are going to go go far into the ground and connect to that soil food web so i think that you know environment and circumstance changes so many different things that you know it you, you just have to be able to adjust for those if you want want to be able to succeed 
you know, just like Dutch was talking about going from indoors to outdoors and not, not realizing he, he needed to be able to combat caterpillars. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, I think every, if you've walked that path from indoor to outdoor, you know, you probably shrugged your shoulders about it and then paid a price later. So whether it was, you know, aphids or spider mites or caterpillars, I, I do think caterpillars is probably one of the more prominent ones that you, you just don't deal with them as much. They don't get as inside nearly as easily. But uh, outdoors, especially around here, I've seen lots and lots of bud rot caused by caterpillars. So, yeah, it was a funny lesson for me. But uh, I was just going to, you know, tag on that, like, for, for me, uh, in my learning curve, it, I was always held by the idea of composting properly. I was held back by it. And I, and I wouldn't uh, do small composting because I was, a, I'm a very strict you know, like I was listening to a Ingham talk and needing to do a six foot high pile by a six foot high pile and then doing the math and to do it on scale to make money growing vegetables, which is, is kind of really where I got more intense, you know, like 15 lights in Portland didn't cut it, you know, growing an acre of vegetables is a little more intense. And I could not shovel that with my back, my body, you know, and I didn't have the tractor equipment. So right, right. it was just kind of like a yeah, non-option for me. Better. And so I've been had to have to had to like choose to like put this like thing that I hold as like the coolest thing ever just on this like side side plate because I never was able to afford a tractor or a compost turner. And so now like that I've come like full circle and I can kind of do whatever I want within, you know, reason it's it, the idea of being able to make nano piles you know, it's kind of how I'm looking at it and cultivate the same process. Um, it's pretty, pretty cool and pretty accessible. And that's what I think is so awesome about it is, is the accessibility. Same right. concepts that we're working with, like, like you say, with PFA or the probiotic farming or, you know, living soil, you know, and, yeah, and so much the same, same with the aquaponics too, uh, you know, dual root zone, especially, but you know, it, it's just, you're dealing with a more isolated, very small envir environment in these little pots. And that's very challenging to, to do it. And it's much more forgiving when you have the earth underneath you to like eat up your weaknesses. <laughs> For sure. I think in ground growing has to be like the most forgiving methods of growing <laughs> of all. I do think that aquaponics is, it does allow you a certain amount of flexibility. You know, you do have to understand what you're doing. Um, whereas, you know, if you've got a decent soil mix and some decent compost and you throw your plants in the ground, you know, you, there's, <laughs> you're going to get a certain amount of success, I think. Um, so I think it's very forgiving in, in that aspect of it. But like we were talking about aquaponics, I look at it as almost like a, you know, I mean, we talk about it as, it as it having its own ecology or being its own ecosystem, but it's also like a, it's almost like a bacterial culture that you can feed, uh, you know, different inputs to. And you talked about like your being able to, to make fertilizer or, or compost on a smaller scale by controlling the inputs and doing smaller piles and different things like that. And I, I think that's what's so interesting about being able uh, to be able to learn how to grow things in in more of that ecology based thing is it it to me at least it, it feels like when you can use things from around here like my outdoor systems feel like 
that like it's uh, one of them's been there for like four or five years now and so it feels like a part of my backyard ecology and less like something that i built back there and uh and i was when we had chris trump on and he was talking about all those different things and i've always wondered why i, I felt like i always sort of attributed its, its success to the amount of sun that it gets but i think it's also its age and its incorporation into the uh into the environment back there that it's gotten you know it gets indigenous microorganisms added to it every day just by being out there in the you know my backyard is kind of backed right up against the wetland and so um you know it, it gets exposed to that you know every day all the time and builds up over four or five years i think is part of the reason why it, it has as much success as it has had and why it did really well um even you know growing cannabis outside or the elderberry bush or whatever you know i seem to put in back there it just seems to go crazy the grapes you know there's tons of grapes out there right now also um so that was <clears throat> that was definitely something that sort of sparked my interest when, when we had him on the show and we talked about you know sort of the indigenous microorganisms and and uh not that i haven't had success indoors but i've always uh i never really and i I think I attribute a lot to the to the light, and I'm not sure how much difference that makes. But I never felt like that, you know, indoor really produced the same that outdoor did. And I'm sure anybody who's done both probably feels the same way, unless you have like, you know, top of the line gavitas or something like that, um, or or you can just get maybe a larger headspace. Like I only have, you know, my garage to deal with, so I had a big shop. I'm sure I could go taller plants and get bigger yields. But I do think that. Uh, um, that control that you get in aquaponics does does help out, but that that one little piece about the indigenous microorganism being outdoors, I think uh, the outdoor systems benefit from that a lot more than isolated indoor systems do. And uh, I hadn't really thought about that before, so that was interesting for me. That's cool. I I, I totally agree with you, man. I have uh, my systems, my aquaponic systems are all outdoor, and I shut them down in the winter. Um, and I just find that it's, it, it, it's exactly that part of the system, part of the, you know, the environment. Um, I just, I was going to say, Addison, I, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I'll shut up. <laughs> well, you were saying you shut down your aquaponics stuff, systems in the winter and then you kind of went off. Yeah, I kind of, I like having some plants that go dormant. Like I have some raspberry bushes and the grapes and the elderberry bush, they all go dormant. Well, I, I guess I part, I partly, so I was going to comment on like, you know, for me and my experience, which I think is typical of a lot of cannabis growers because we come from indoors or we have to be, had to be indoors is we didn't get the opportunity to really put our roots down. And uh, when I got into aquaponics, I, I learned quickly that, it, you know, that shit barely works after six weeks and then really starts to work after six months and then really, really starts to work after two years, three years, four years. Well, know, it actually, media. so, so the, um, actually is it Charlie and then Rick and Ricosi did a study on that. It takes about 14 months to fully colonize. I think it was to get all your different nutrient chains. And do you think that introducing different 
uh, whether they're indigenous microorganisms or just microorganisms like say, so mammoth pea would be an example, uh, or even grokashi or bokashi, any of those that you buy off the shelf would be considered microorganisms if you they weren't collected from your local area. Is that is that accurate, Dutch? Like, yeah, they're 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 uh, EEM, right? Effective microorganisms, right? Or yeah, yeah, they, it it they're they're not they're they're store store bought lab derived, and it's not that there's a problem with them. They're the same things, but they're the idea is that there's a die off potentially. There's a potential die off. You know, like they come in and you dose them and they do their part and it's really effective. Um, and then they die off because they're not uh, acclimated to the environment. So if you get the ones that are indigenous, they're acclimated to the environment. And that's why the process of the like collecting, storing, and then adding all the different seasons and the, you know, over a couple of years and then, and then growing them out. And then and then acclimating them again to the soil. It's like the slow. It's a. It's kind of a really beautiful poetic way. Um, you know, no machines involved. Way to do it. It's it's it's. I don't know. I I obviously just went to this course and I'm totally stoked. You know, but. Right, and I, and I definitely think you know it's you know along that same thing where we talk about the, the different trains of thought. It. Um, and even inside of organic farming, you know, the scientific and religious approaches to it. But um, on top of that, for me, I really like, and part of the reason why I wanted to do aquaponics to begin with was to be able to, you know, to be more sustainable. And so when I can collect things and make plant food out of them, especially liquid plant food um, that introduces microorganisms, uh, effective microorganisms, microorganisms or indigenous microorganisms, either one, by adding those to the, the aquaponic systems, can do you, do you think that it would speed up the colonization for those different nutrient chains like we're talking about? I know. Well, it's a little, it's a little different because, and, and that's, you know, Steve and I were, were trying to put on this conference to like, and, and we wanted Chris to come and talk. And, and I have a way better picture and understanding of all this act, after having, having gone through this. So, when we're dealing with the aquaponic food web or the, the, you know, aquatic food web, it's, it's different and there's no fungi present. And that's the basic of basis of uh, KNF is collecting fungi, specifically saprophytic fungi, that stuff we can see the mycelium, the white stuff, you know, right. Uh, that that's, you know, they're, they're de eating their decayers, right. They, they consume, um, you know, carbon straw, that sort of stuff. And that isn't present, as far as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, in the aquatic ecosystem. And so the idea of the, of the, of the dual root zone is that you can get that and you can also get the benefit of, of myocorrhizae fungi, the connection that happens there uh, in right. a dual root zone. And so like I'm, I'm like kind of thinking like, the, you know, the, the best of the best might be, you know, an aquaponic bed with a, a living soil uh, bed on top of it right that you would replant right. and you'd have, you'd have living plants companion plants that would keep the the myocrysis fungi going and the connection between the, the aquaponic uh you know area below and then you'd you know re you'd replant your cannabis plants something like that you know and then and then uh the, the, the being able to the other part of the, of the knf is then the nutrient cycling you you have all these concoctions that you then apply you know a vegetative spray 
you know, a transitional spray, a flowering spray, a late fruiting spray. And it's kind of similar to, to using, you know, bottled nutrients, but they're all plant derived ferments, essentially. It's really beautiful and it, it pairs very well with, with aquaponic gardening. Right. And, then, and I think, you know, especially the, you know, the fermented uh, plant extracts or fermented plant juices, which are you know, already liquid and can be easily added in concentration to the dual root zone. And then in addition to that, it gives that, that area for those microorganisms to colonize and start spreading through the aquatic food web. So that's why I think that there might be ways to speed up that process aside from what's been documented in traditional aquaponic systems. And maybe, maybe Steve can shed some light on that. I don't know. I think we should get Chris on again because he, he does have experience with aquaponics. He, he started a, a fairly decent grow. Uh, right. Traditional aquaponics, right? I, I believe so. I, I don't know exactly what the setup was, but, you know, in, in their kind of search to do their farm proper, he, he did said he set up, I think, a, you know, greenhouse or two, you know. Right. And so in a lot of, you know, I talked about aquaponics being sort of like a, a culture as well. You know, I feed it. Um, I mix aquaponic water in, in a lot of my teas that I feed. Well, all my teas, actually, that I feed to my raised beds and my sips and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I try to treat that as sort of like a, you know, a continuous indigenous microorganism, microorganism, because it has been there for so long and, and has that kind of build up that we're looking for. And I use it to jumpstart other systems too. I'll take, I'll take established media out of the beds and uh, aged filters, like I'll pull a lot of the filters out and just put them in the bottom of media beds to help jumpstart new new systems when i set them up or i'll use them a lot in the filter um you know i use uh it's like a it's like a paper filter essentially so it gets a lot of solids built up on it and i'll pull those out and throw them in the bottom of my sips when i make those in the beginning of the season also so i try to extend and, and use that as a culture as as much as i can to introduce those same microorganisms in, into each one of my soil starts. Um, are you saying? Are you saying you appropriate each of those cultures? I do. I do. Lots of cultural yeah. appropriation <laughs> in the microbiology world. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. That's cool, man. Yeah, I do the same, man. I, I've uh, my my little systems here. I've been going for two years, but. There are the rocks, uh, you know, I've taken, you know, least, I, the, the least amount I took was, was two five-gallon buckets from Minnesota over here. And that system was four years old. Um, so I've kind of got the same, you know, which is a weird, it's a weird concept, you know, because I'm taking these, the something that I started in Minnesota inside a greenhouse, ran for four years, took it with me to Washington ran it in the system, t tore it down, moved it over here, moved it around. Now it's outdoors and been on my property for two years. It's, it's a Frankenstein. FMO. <laughs> nice. Well, you got what you got, right? Hey, I, I wanted to say um, a quick couple shout out to a couple people. One, um, Scotty from Dugros. 
he uh, had a, a seizure, and he is uh, back on his feet and back on doing his thing again. But I just want to say a big shout out to Scotty. I just found out, I just found out this week, and I'm slightly late to the party on the news. Um, but uh, hope you get well soon, buddy. And uh, we always enjoy having you and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you here again before the end of the year, hopefully. And then um, we also have um, Michael McShane. He's also a friend of the show. He's been on the show a couple of times and he's also not doing too well. So, um, you know, if anyone is down near um, Carlsbad, let me know uh, and wants to donate anything to him to help him. Uh, he's definitely looking for some stuff here and is... Uh, you know, uh, last last little while. So, you know, please uh, let me know if you can help him out at all and, and can donate anything. And uh, yeah, so he he won't be with us too much longer either. So, I remember when we had him on on the show. So that um, that's unfortunate. He he's definitely lived a long time. Like we talked about pre-show, you know, he's he's outlived a lot of expectations, but. Not, not looking good at it from what I understand. And so big shout out to him. He was he was a great guest and appreciated his time. Yep. Yeah, I hope uh hope he's comfortable and um I hope he's doing, you know, as best as he can be at the moment. So For sure. Yeah. So um what what have you been up to, uh Josh in your garden? Um, I guess I've been, I feel like I've been talking a lot about it. Uh, I've been making KNF inputs, um, which has been pretty fun because I can be in the house with my family while I'm doing it and we get to try them. So we, we did a, um, an, a young apple uh, FPJ. That was, that was fun and delicious. And uh, I did a can of, a can of FPJ, which I, yeah, I'm going to try tomorrow. Um <clears throat> So that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, just getting ready for, we started, uh, we harvested a crop, I guess. I don't know if I mentioned that last week. We harvested uh, the middle row on uh, the greenhouse and that was exciting. We froze most of it. And uh, so that's kind of going out wholesale and that's kind of slowly moving, but um, all, all all the samples went out and everybody's really excited about it. So I think it's gonna fly. And uh, I've started tarping another one of those rows just to kind of get an early, early jump on it. And then uh, everything else is going to be full term, <clears throat> which uh, is cool and exciting and a lot later than everybody else. It's like the kind of funny, the worst spot you'd want to be doing uh, full term up here where it's like cold and it's just the way it goes. And so... <clears throat> but it, it's uh, honestly, I've grown some good flowers uh, and uh, especially for extraction. So I'm pretty optimistic about it. And uh, I'm excited in the next two or three days, uh, once I get all my KNF uh, stuff finished, I'm going to be uh, doing sprays of that uh, weekly uh, on the plants, you know, kind of until they really start flowering. And then once they start flowering, I'll, I'll stop. But I'm excited to do that. And, uh, and then, uh, I'm, you know, my mind's kind of already into next year, to be honest. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, getting everything put to bed this winter, harvesting, getting everything to bed, and, and getting ready for next year. So <clears throat> it's kind of the life of the farmer, be 
six six to eight months ahead of ahead of yourself at least. All right. So, um, <laughs> what are you up to, Roger, in your uh, garden? I'm just teaching at the forum. Keep you keep making sure everybody's learning how to efficiently grow their meds and the you know most most and most of the time they want to do it in the shortest period of time the most efficient way and keep working on that and still working on the farm here and i've yet to get get to my greenhouse i kind of wanted to grow vegetables in, into the fall and winter but i don't know if i'm going to make it or not uh, but we're trying and um that's about it um it's been a we've had a we've had some storms here the last week or two it's kind of curtailed some of my activities you know, still building the fence for the dogs and, um, you know, it just takes a while. Like I guess Josh can attest to this. It takes a while when you're by yourself on the farm, you know, everything takes, you, you got these things you want to get into. And every time you turn around, you find something else you have to address before you can move on. So other than that, just uh, hanging in there, answering my questions on the Bergman, Ber Robert Bergman's blog articles, uh, all, you know, taking care of everybody that has a comment there. We have over 500 articles and other than that, just teaching all the newbies and helping out people that are intermediate growers and such, uh, teach a lot of seniors, you know, um, you know, in my grow, I've, I've just, uh, I've kind of, I'm kind of waiting. I'm in the latter stages of flowering and, um, allegedly, and, uh, and I've got some clones hanging out and some seedlings hanging out, waiting to go in when I'm done. Um, kind of gotten got overlapped a little bit too much um, and some of the issues with my estranged wife has kept me from um, uh, expanding a little bit I thought I was going to expand a little bit and now I'm more I'm a little worried because uh, she uh, she threatened to call the cops the other day so I'm in one of those situations where you almost think you should just take your shit down and, and eat it but uh you know, I don't. Anyways, that's where I'm at. Just wishing, I hoping I get to grow in and no problems and get it harvested and and have my meds for the next few months. And I don't know, I might have to stop growing for a few months, which is going to suck because I just got onto where I was pretty much keeping up with everything, so I was able to you know, to always have meds. You know, I basically have just run out of meds almost, but I had a couple of clones that had grown out and uh, started to look like they were finished, whether I liked it or not. So I've been chopping them a little bit to try to get some meds dried out. That's about it for me. And of course, I got a blister the size of a two by three blister on the ball of my foot. So other than that, no, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't feel it till like the last 200 yards. Like I was. I came to back way in to see if it was a little shorter, you know, because we got two entrances into our neighborhood and everything was fine, but I, my, my hips started bothering me and, uh, you know, uh, maybe a muscle on my inner thigh, it might've been growing muscle, uh, was starting to bother me a little bit. And I think I started driving off my left foot and all of a sudden it felt like I said, wow, it kind of burns. Then I realized, dude, you got a blister across your entire bottom of your ball of your foot, you know? <laughs> So that's going to, I'm going to have to debate whether I really want to walk down to town again after that.
rustle up some horses. Yeah, well, I actually could. There, there. I could have a uh, goat, a goat in a cart. Yeah, a big goat in a cart. There you go. The thing is, is I've got a two-lane highway that people fly down with not much other than ditches on the side. Well, then hike your hike your skirt and put your thumb in the air. Yeah, well, I did. I did put my thumb in the air. I had twenty-five people drive by me and not pick up an old man in the country walking down. Even when I had groceries in my bag walking back, nobody stopped. And I was holding a five-dollar. Well, I was holding a five dollar uh, bill and hanging down while I was hitchhiking at the same time. How how, you be how the corona out. How high was your skirt? Yeah, well I was wearing my shorts, you know. <sighs> oh. Yeah, I'm hurting all over, no shit. I'm Sorry, dude, all. we're just giving you shit. Yeah. <laughs> I've uh I've been getting ready. We have I'm teaching the uh organic medicinal or aquaponic medicinal herb class here in Halfman Bay this weekend. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to go down to the uh, it's a big cannabis convention down in San Jose. I'll be down there visiting and um, seeing a bunch of cool people and uh, maybe taking video, maybe not, not sure. And then um, what else is going on? Weekend the week after that, teaching the big commercial class with with Charlie and Ken over at Orboros. Um, both classes will be at Orboros Farms, orborosfarms.com if you're interested. Um, yep, and we have cannabis class coming up at the end of August as well. If you're interested in that, so. And aside from that, just been working on big, uh, giant aquaponic pumpkins. Keep forgetting to shoot a video when I'm over there. Uh, it's huge. It's already bigger than like a. You have a pumpkin, yeah, like a beach parody. ball. Oh yeah. yeah, huge, huge pumpkin. Uh, and um, yeah, just tinkering with some other crops growing. Hmm. Aside I'm from that, just getting ready, that. Uh, getting ready to find, uh, moving to bigger digs here. Um, things are coming together out here in Cali and in Canada and stuff. So moving to a bigger place now. Uh, at some point in the next month, so that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I I checked I checked on plates and um in uh, November I could I could come out I could come to San Francisco round trip for under three hundred and thirty dollars. Just depends on what week and what holiday, what uh, events are going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's, it's, you know, I got November. Work. November that time of the year, November can be a uh, could be the thing in Vegas or um. In Vegas. Anyways, um, does anyone else have any other topics they wanted to talk about this week? I will just say maybe on that kind of that same note, Steve and I, you and I haven't had a chance to connect in a couple of weeks, but um, there's discussion of doing uh, three to four more uh, science of organic regenerative cannabis cultivation conferences next uh, next winter for this coming winter. Um, so just uh, just kind of throw that out there. Michigan, um, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine, Humboldt County. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll kind of see. But. Okay. Awesome. What about... Um... All right. Well, um, I guess we'll wrap things up a little early. Uh, or wasn't able to join us this week. We will get him on 
next week. Uh, worst case, we'll get him on the week after. Uh, trying to do some cool stuff for episode 100. Uh, we'll see um, see how things line up. Also, we'll be back on the normal channel on episode 100. So we'll be able to broadcast again from Potent Ponics uh, after the 3rd of August. So that'll be nice. No more of this bullshit. Good, good. Went good tonight. Seemed like it went well tonight, though. Yeah, well, I had to spend a bunch of time trying to rework my audio and all my stuff. I don't know why it went haywire last week, so I do apologize to everybody. Just got to get it reset up to get it to work with uh, Weed TV. I'm still having issues this week, so. <sighs> Alrighty. Well, um, thanks everybody for watching. Um, why don't you tell everybody how to find you guys? Well, I'll go first then. Um, yeah, well, you can find me at ilovegrowingmarijuana.com. Um, and uh, you, we got a great bunch of people over there, excellent articles and blog with over 500 articles. And we've got a very friendly, mature forum, so there's no BS over there. We we run it like an educational thing, but we have fun. So we keep it friendly and no, we won't be cussed out or called stupid at my, at our forum. And uh, and there's a lot of people that like it. we got a it's a it's very it's vast we got a million page views a, a month and i think we're getting where we're giving it like we're starting to have like 140 to 150 people join every day uh the other day i got a i got a summary that said since you last visited which was yesterday there's 149 people joined so it's starting to really go crazy and part of it's because of the marketing and part of it's because of great genetics and the other side of it is you know, we're reaching people on this show, and I'm very happy to be on this show for that. Mm. So I'll pass it on to a Dutch to tell us where you can reach him. Uh, really, you can just reach me at <clears throat> on Instagram, Dutch Blooms. Um, I'm do I'm you know, I'll have a a website up for my my cannabis company here pretty soon, which is Dutch Blooms. But um, really what I'm doing with the conferences is just trying to connect people and connect information. And that's uh, the science of organic regenerative cannabis conference.com. I've started some Facebook groups. Um, you can probably figure those out, but it's really just about connecting people uh, to share information that are on like minds. So yeah, if, if you have any questions about any of that, you just hit me up on Instagram and I'm, I, I will respond. Happy to help. Well, good, good. I'm sorry, Marty and Mr. Green Jeans kind of hauled butt without saying goodbye, but goodbye, guys. <laughs> yep, you can find them uh, in the their info in the description below. Um, and, uh, oh, big shout out to Rasta Jeff. We've gotten tons and tons and tons of listeners. We're averaging about a thousand more a day than we were uh, before the week, before last last week. So shout out to him. Uh, for giving us a shout out on his show. Thanks a lot, buddy. And uh, I also emailed you, Ross, to Jeff, sir, if you're listening. I'm waiting for that response. <laughs> um, and then uh, be sure to check us out. If you're interested in any of the classes that I teach, check it out at ouroborosforums.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, if you're going to the, the show in San Jose tomorrow, I'll see you there. Cheers, buddy. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>